0: Luke 7, it came to pass the day after that he, he being Jesus, he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother. That's important to notice. The only son of his mother. She was a widow, and much people of the city were there. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and he touched the beer. A beer is a coffin. He touched the coffin, and they that carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Somebody shout hallelujah. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus delivered the young man to the mother. Verse 16. And there came a fear on all and they glorified God saying that a great prophet has risen up among us and that God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout the region roundabout. Now look at Proverbs 30, verse 11 and 12, really quickly. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Father, would you bless the reading of your word? And use your word today to bring encouragement and life to everyone that hears it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated in the house of the Lord. I want to preach this morning along these lines. The morning before revival. The morning before revival. Notice I'm not talking about morning as in daybreak, but M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, morning. I looked that word mourning up in the dictionary this week and it says that mourning means sorrow or lamentation. It is the season of grieving after experiencing a death or loss. And as I was preparing this word and I felt like the Lord kind of spoke to me about something and see, we all want to see miracles. Everybody here would love to say, man, I would love to see a miracle happen this morning. But we forget that in order to experience a miracle, we must first experience a difficulty. If we didn't have difficulties, there would be no need for miracles. We all want to experience healing. But we forget that if we want to experience healing, we first have to be wounded in order to experience revival or resurrection, that necessitates us experiencing death. Death always precedes revival. Death always comes before revival. You can't have revival without death. None of us are exempt from difficulties in life. None of us are exempt from heartbreak and heartache. All of us will experience at some points in our life either loss or death. We live in a world that was created good by a good God, and it was supposed to exist as a good world. But the world, the creation that we live in, though it was created good, it has fallen from its goodness because of human sin. That's the story of Genesis chapter three. And therefore, when sin entered into creation, along with it came things like sickness and suffering and disease and yes, even death. So because we live in a world that has fallen from its original goodness, we all will experience those types of things somehow during our life. There is no exemption from difficulty in our life. Even if you're a Christian, there is no promise in Scripture that life will get easier because you follow Jesus. Now, Jesus says, in this world, you'll experience a lot of trials and a lot of suffering, but then He gives the promise, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And so even though there are sufferings, if we have Christ, we can overcome those things, find deliverance and healing from those things. So we're all at some point going to experience loss, death, suffering, sickness. We're all going to experience it. And listen, that's why we need Jesus. See, we'll all experience heartbreak, so He says, I'll mend the brokenhearted. We'll all experience hurts and wounds, so He says, by my wounds, you'll be healed. We'll all experience loss and lack, so He says, if you live for me and follow me, I'll pour out a blessing on your life so great that you can't contain it. And we'll all experience death either the death of a friend or a family member, or if the Lord tarries, all of us will walk through death at some point. And that's why Jesus says, I am He who was dead, but is now alive. And now I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Behold, the Scripture says, death is swallowed up in victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. Amen. That's why the Scripture says that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we don't grieve like the rest of the world grieves. We don't mourn like those who have no hope, because I didn't know Pastor Katie was going to talk about hope this morning, but we have hope. Not just hope in heaven, but we have hope of resurrection life living inside of us because the scripture says Christ in you is the hope of glory. So if you're living hopeless today, maybe you don't know that you have Christ living inside of you and He is the source of all hope. But just because we have Christ and just because we have hope, it does not mean that we won't experience loss or suffering or even death in this life. We will all experience the death of a loved one Death of a parent, loss of a job, loss of a relationship, financial difficulty, marriage trouble. Some of you maybe walked in the room carrying some of those things today. We live in a fallen world. We are subject to what goes on in this world. And Jesus told his followers in Matthew chapter five, he said, it rains on the just and the unjust. What's that mean? That means whether you're living right or you're living wrong, you're going to still experience some rainy days in life. So our text today, our scripture this morning, takes us to a day in the ministry of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that he was traveling from Capernaum to a city called Nain. Now, Capernaum, it's kind of his base camp. It's where he kind of. When you, If you read the Gospels, that's where he kind of always goes back to spend time with his disciples to rest and relax. And then he'll go out from Capernaum to different towns and different villages. And on this particular day, he and his followers went to a town called Nain. And this ancient city, it's not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture, but it still exists today. It is still a city in, in modern day Israel. And the city of Nain, it, it sort of rests on the side of a hill. It's it's kind of a halfway up a hill. You can go and Google Nain in Israel and you'll see pictures of it. It's right on the side of a hill. It's there. And it's surrounded by fortified walls. And the Bible says that as the Lord was heading toward the city, this walled city with His disciple, there was a large crowd following Him. And so Jesus and the crowd, they're walking up the road uphill toward the city and they begin to get closer to the city gate When they pass burial grounds, they pass a cemetery. Because in that time, it was the custom to bury the dead outside the city gates. You didn't bury dead people in the city where you lived everyday life because back then death was considered ceremonially unclean. And so you would take, you didn't want to accidentally walk over someone's grave because then you would be considered unclean. So you put the graves outside the city, outside of the busyness of life. And so along the roads leading into the city, there would have been cemeteries all around you. And the custom was to bury the city outside the city wall, the dead outside the city walls, and there would be hundreds maybe of graves and grave markers. All around. And just as they're going up the road, they're getting close to the city gate. The crowd following Jesus collides with another crowd. A funeral procession. Now, whoever was dead must have been somewhat well known or popular. Or or maybe it was just such a tragic death that it drew a large crowd. But the Bible tells us it was a a quite large crowd of mourners that were walking out of the city. So get it in your head. Jesus is walking up the road into the city with his followers. A funeral procession is walking down the road. You know how in the south, when a funeral is coming, you kind of all pull over to the side and you let them go and you take your hat off. That's what's happening on the side of this road. They're all stopping. They collide here on the road. So they're in the middle of the road these two crowds meet. One crowd is headed toward the city. The other crowd is headed toward a grave. One crowd is led by Jesus.
1: The other crowd is led by a coffin. Two crowds collide, and they come to meet around
0: the coffin and the corpse of a young man. The Scripture says, that the deceased was a young man. He, he died in the prime of his life. And we learn that the dead man was the only son of a widow woman. Now, that's a big deal. At that time and in that culture, the death of a widow's only son is the greatest misfortune conceivable that a woman could experience. The kind of grief that this woman is experiencing is is the extremity of possible human grief because this woman isn't just burying her son, she's burying her future. He's her meal ticket. He's who's going to provide a home for her. He's who's going to provide groceries for her. He's who's going to take care of her in her old age. She has no one left. He's the only son. She has no one to provide for her her only son, her pride and joy. Not only was he beloved by his mother, but she was his future. She had no husband and no son to take care of her. And that meant she would immediately become poor and destitute. The son that would have been her support staff in her old age is now a broken reed. If you remember in the book of Ruth, remember in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi and Ruth found themselves in similar situations. Naomi and Ruth, two women. Naomi was married to the father. Ruth was married to the son. And the husband and the sons, they all die. And Naomi in the story, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because to her, life is bitter because I have no future. To be a widow with no son, all that you can see in your future is grief, anger, bitterness, Poverty and despair. So here this woman is. She's, she's walking behind the coffin, going outside the city to the grave, weeping and wailing at her misfortune. Life as she knows it is over, believing there's no hope and no chance
1: for a future.
0: Let me ask you this. If you're in this room this morning or you're listening or watching online, I want to ask you, What do you do when life goes off the rails?
1: What do you do when you feel like life is falling apart around you? What do you do when you don't know where to turn next? What do you do when the pain just won't go away? The widow
0: walking behind the body of her dead son, leading a procession of mourning and grief, feeling alone, empty and heartbroken.
1: But the Bible says, the Lord saw her. The Lord
0: saw her. I love that. Jesus didn't just see the crowd coming down the road. And Jesus didn't just see the coffin leading the funeral procession.
1: He saw a wounded, broken mother. I could stop right there. That's already a good message.
0: He didn't just see the crowd. He didn't just see the problem. He saw the woman's pain.
1: Let me ask you, what are the chances
0: that this woman on the worst day of her life would happen to be attending a funeral for her son on the exact same day at the exact same spot that Jesus is walking down the street? I don't think it was coincidence. I think that the Lord knew exactly what time the funeral started. And I think the Lord knew to choose that road and to choose that city on that day. I believe even before he physically laid eyes on the woman on the side of the road, I believe he woke up that morning with that woman on his mind. He woke up, he had his coffee and his breakfast around the campfire with his brothers and his disciples. And he said, boys, we got to go. There's a funeral we have to get to. We have an assignment today. I believe before he even got to the city, he saw her and he saw what she needed. And I believe that's a word for somebody here this morning. God sees you. He sees your situation and your circumstance. He sees that son, that daughter, that brother, that sister, that friend that you're praying for. He sees your tears. He sees your wounds. He sees your issues. And he gets up and has an assignment for your life. See, I believe Jesus woke up that morning with that mother on his mind. He sat up, he wiped the sleep out of his eyes, and he said, I've got a job to do today. It was a 12-mile walk that morning from Capernaum to Nain. And I believe for all 12 of those miles, Jesus saw that woman in his mind. Church, let me tell you, you've been wondering this past week, does God see me? Does Jesus see my problem? Does he see my issue? Does he see how discouraged I am? And I came by to tell you the answer is, yes, he does. Just like he saw that woman, his eyes and his thoughts are on you. He loves you with an unfailing and an unending love. He's interceding, the Bible says, on your behalf right now. He is interceding. He has commissioned angels to do battle on your behalf. See, the truth of the Scripture is, is that when morning comes, Jesus comes near.
1: Jesus is attracted
0: to your grief. He is attracted to your pain. If you talk to a good doctor or a good nurse, they love a good injury. They love, my mom was an ER nurse for 20 something years and she will tell you to this day, there is nothing better than a good stab wound. She's sick. <laughs> I don't understand it. But, but there is something about when you have a passion to help hurting people, when other people are running, they run in. They're attracted to it. Why? Because they know how to fix it. And Jesus is like that with our problems and our issues. He doesn't run from our difficulties. He runs to them because He knows how to fix it. When morning comes, Jesus comes near. When grief takes over, Jesus goes to work. When you weep, Jesus is closer than you think. When you cry, Jesus stands with you. He wraps His loving arms, His unending, unfailing love around you. The Scripture says that He saw her and He had compassion on her. See, when morning comes, not only does Jesus come near, but he also has compassion. Now, that word compassion is interesting because it's not just a word for sympathy or sorrow. Sometimes we can say, oh, I have compassion for those people. Uh, That's so sad. But compassion isn't a feeling. Compassion is an action word. Compassion is pity mixed with power compassion is not passive it is not it it is just that it is passionate it is active it is powerful compassion doesn't just sit back and say oh how horrible for them compassion says I can do something about it I'm going to get to work to do something to help that person and so in my mind's eye imagine Jesus he's coming into the side of the city walking up the hill he knows already, because He's God in the flesh, He's all-knowing. He knows already that the funeral procession is just getting ready to come out of that gate. And so as they get closer and He starts to see the crowd, Jesus is searching for the, in the crowd for the woman. He, he's searching in the crowd for the mother of the dead boy and when he sees her he sees how overcome with grief she is i can imagine him thinking as he sees her coming down and he sees her crying the tears on her eyes in her eyes the the distress on her face i can imagine him thinking oh no she doesn't know what i'm about to do she doesn't know he and i can imagine Jesus seeing her and how, pain, how the pain in her face and her eyes and he runs up to her and he says, oh, don't worry, mama, I'm here. Don't worry, Mama." He, he runs to her and says, I got to get to her because she's hurting and she doesn't have to. I got to get to her and she doesn't know I have a solution. And so I can just see him running when he sees her and, and says, I got to get to that woman because I've got to tell her, don't weep everything's going to be okay. I've got to let her know that I'm here. I've got to let her know that I'm going to do something about it. Just watch, Mama. I'm going to make something happen today. And so he rushes over, the Bible says, to the coffin that they're carrying that young man in. And the Bible says that he just lays his hand on the coffin. He just... He walks right up. He interrupts the whole thing. Again, modern day, imagine you're driving down Highway 10 and a funeral procession's coming by and you pull over and block traffic so that the hearse can't get through and you just stand in front of it. How crazy is this? But Jesus, He says, I'm going to interrupt. I And He lays His hand on the coffin and when He touches it, it says that the men carrying the coffin stood still. See, when death comes in contact with the Lord of life, death cannot continue. They were moving, walking, heading toward a grave, but just the touch of his finger and death had to stop. Everyone freezes because everything has frozen and the pallbearers aren't moving and the Lord of life is in a standoff on the side of the road with death itself. And any other man, had he touched that coffin, according to the law of Moses, he would have instantly been considered ceremonially unclean. He would have been disallowed from entering back into the city. He would have had to go back to the temple and perform the proper ritual. The Jewish people believed that death was spiritually contagious that to be near death to touch something that was already dead was to bring death on yourself and if you had touched a dead body you would be unfit to continue throughout your your day you couldn't go home to your wife or to your children until you had been ceremonially cleansed any other man had he touched that coffin would have been contaminated by death but not Jesus when Jesus touches death he doesn't become contaminated by death when Jesus touches death death ceases to have any power. Don't worry, mama, I'll stop this funeral right in its tracks. Don't worry, mama, I'll put an end to all of this. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus stands squarely in the road between you and whatever death or defeat or destruction is in front of you. And he confronts those things that are attacking you. And all he has to do is lay one finger on that issue and it must stop in its tracks. He stands in the gap between you and divorce. He stands in the gap between you and bankruptcy. He stands in the gap between you and addiction. He stands in the gap between you and cancer. The Bible says He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And He is interceding for you. But if you turn to Acts chapter 7, you will see that the men who were stoning the deacon Stephen for preaching the Gospel, as they're throwing rocks at his head and killing him, Stephen says, I see Jesus. And He's not sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is Standing at the right hand of the Father. What's that mean? When the devil comes after one of your God's children, he's not just sitting back. He stands up and he goes to work and he fights for you and he commissions his angels for you and nothing shall touch you that he doesn't want there. He stands against illness and sickness and disease and addiction and depression and anxiety and despair and he does something about it. So Jesus steps in front of that casket and he reaches his hand down into that coffin.
1: He reaches down to touch what was dead and
0: everyone stops and watches to see what's about to happen. And Jesus says one simple sentence. He says, young man, I say unto you, rise up. Everything Jesus touches must come to life. Your hopes and your dreams get resurrected when Jesus steps in the room. See, when I was lost in sin, he reached down. I was spiritually dead. Had no hope, no life, no future. But he reached down and he said, young man, I say unto you, rise up. Arise, arise out of spiritual death. Rise out of despair. Rise out of sin and destruction. Rise from a position of no hope and no future. And y'all, every Christian has to answer that call when he reaches down to rescue you and me. We were all at some time before lost and undone without God or his son, but he reached down. He reached down for me. Pastor Katie, would you sing? You stand for just a moment, let's sing that chorus together.
2: When my Savior reach out? Come on,
0: give him glory. Tell him me. thank you. Yes, Lord. glory and tell him thank you. Lord, we thank you, God, that you reached down. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We give you glory, Lord. We're so thankful, Lord, that you reached down and lifted us up out of the miry clay. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. When Jesus reached down his hand, he says, arise. And sure enough, that boy sat up and he started talking. Because whenever Jesus breathes life into dead lungs, whenever He puts a beat in a still heart, whenever He opens blinded eyes, He also opens up a closed mouth. He revives silenced voices. When someone really experiences new life, they're going to tell everybody they can about it. They're going to talk about it. They've got a story to tell. They've got a word to share. They don't hide their lamp under a bowl or their light under a bushel. When the testimony is, I was dead, but now I'm alive. You better believe they talk about it. They tell everyone about it. For much of Christian history, you weren't truly considered a disciple of Jesus until you had brought someone else to Jesus. Why? Because there was an expectation that if you really found new life and you really believed it, that you would tell somebody about it, that you wouldn't keep it to yourself. Every one of us who's experienced the new birth and new life in Jesus, our lips need to get in line with our experience our mouth better be declaring the goodness of God in our lives. He saw us in our despair. He had compassion on us. And He reached down and gave us new life. The Scriptures say that Jesus took the man up and talking and gave him back to his mother. What an incredible act of mercy on the part of Jesus. This woman's whole life and future has been restored today to her. After today, Proverbs 30, that scripture we read, is her life motto. She would after today be able to truly say, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have to loose my sackcloth. Sackcloth was the the garment that you would wear when you were grieving. You have loosed my sackcloth and you have clothed me with gladness. Lord, I will give thanks to you forever. This was her song. Now, how many of you would say you're ready for the Lord to give you back some things that life and sin and Satan have stolen from you? You're ready for God to uh, trade some mourning in for dancing in your life. You're ready to trade in some sackcloth of grief for the garment of praise and gladness. Guess what? he already has we know that Jesus at the cross and at the grave defeated hell death and the grave once and for all we know that sickness has to bow down in authority to Jesus we know he's given us the ministry of reconciliation where we can see relationships restored We know He's promised to provide for all of our needs. We know that He's already won the battle, that Satan is a defeated foe, because the Scripture says we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have a hope. We have revival. Two crowds met on the road to Nain that day. Think about this. Two only begotten sons met on the road One, the only begotten son of a creator God walking toward the city, and the other, the only begotten son of a widow woman being carried toward a grave. Two enemies met on the road that day. Jesus, the Lord of life, comes into conflict with His greatest enemy, death itself. Two sufferers, met on the road that day. One, a suffering, destitute woman with no hope and no future. The other, a suffering Savior that the Scripture calls a man of sorrows who is intimately acquainted with human suffering and grief. See, the widow isn't the only sufferer in the story. Jesus' entire life and ministry was a one-way ticket to a cross of suffering and shame. Sorrow didn't just come to the widow. Sorrow came to Jesus. And sorrow came to those who knew Him and loved Him. They had—they either ran into hiding or they wept and they mourned the loss of their beloved Savior, or they huddled at the foot of the cross weeping and, and, and mourning and watching their son, their brother, their friend, their teacher die a tragic death, but Jesus came anyway knowing that the sorrows of mourning were worth dying for. Knowing that on the other side of mourning, M-O-U-R, was a bright new mourning, resurrection morning where life, resurrection, restoration, healing, and deliverance would overcome death. When mourning comes, we don't have to be afraid of it, because on the other side of mourning, God promises revival. He promises resurrection. And that is what you and I confess with assurance and in faith, that no matter what comes against me, it's not going to kill me. No matter what comes against me, it can't take life from me. What, no matter what comes against me, I have a better day to look forward to tomorrow. See, Nain's widow woman might have seen her son restored, but I myself have been raised to new life. And how many in the room could say, I've experienced new life through Jesus. He's done something for me. I've seen resurrection happen. See, Peter's mother-in-law in the scripture was, uh, was, he, <coughs> Excuse me, Peter's mother-in-law in the scripture might have been healed of a fever, but we've all been healed of a sickness called sin. Mary and Martha might have been graced from by Jesus for a visit for a few hours, but Jesus doesn't just visit us. He dwells within us. He is with us at all times. That lame, paralyzed man might have gotten healed and been made to walk again. But some of us have been stuck with no purpose or no direction in life. And Jesus gave us worth something worth living for Mary Magdalene she might have been delivered of seven demons but some of us in the room we've been delivered from dozens and hundreds of demons that have come against us Mary the mother of Jesus might have carried Jesus for nine months in her womb but the Bible says that Christ is formed in me and that is the hope of glory so we all have that testimony where we all were on a one-way road toward a grave. And we met Jesus. And all He had to do was reach down and touch us in that place of death. And now our story can be, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and listen, not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. When morning comes, Jesus comes near. Jesus has compassion. Jesus brings revival. Another scripture says weeping. May last through the night. But joy comes in the morning would you stand with me this morning weeping may last through the night but joy comes in the morning I believe that all of us at some, no matter what season of life you're in all of us have something in our lives that we need Jesus to get in front of and do a work and do a miracle I believe all of us have that maybe it's not a death of a loved one or maybe it's not a huge, what we would call a major issue, but there's something that, you know what? I need Jesus to touch this. Because without Him,
1: it's going to die.